So good to see you, Myrna. Thanks for having you me. You too. Thank you so much for joining us today for Her Many Voices Lunch and Learn for February 2023. We're excited to have you. I would I'm love so, it. so excited to be here. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Would you introduce yourself, please? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Lattice Feliciano. Lattice rhymes with goddess, um, if that is helpful in remembering the pronunciation. Um, and I am an artist and cultural worker based here in Denver. Um, and I just love to share that my, uh, I, my name is actually, um, I am named after El Grito de Lattice, which is, uh, was a Puerto Rican revolution against the Spanish in 1868. And what was her role? <laughs> So Lattice was the name of the town in which the oh, uh, the revolution okay. happened. So the town I of Lattice is um, is still it's still there. It's a thriving community, and that history of revolution is really really strong and important throughout the community. Oh, that's awesome! And there's so there's a lot of leaders and people there who were involved. Probably, I you know what that reminds me of. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your Puerto Rican heritage and maybe your next project, and then we'll back into your current projects. Would that be okay? Yes. Yes. I love it. Thank you. Yes. So as I mentioned, I am Puerto Rican and um, the title of this uh, Lunch and Learn today, Layers of Diaspora, um, is very much connected to that identity and um, a lot of the things that um, that are really important to me, both in my work as an artist and a cultural worker. Um, so the diaspora, in my experience, is uh, the Puerto Rican diaspora. And diaspora really refers to, um, it's a broad term. It refers to a group of people who are um, spread out um, from their homeland in some way, shape, or form. And this has manifested many different ways throughout history. Um, and in the context of Puerto Rico, you know, Puerto Rico is still a colony of the United States right now. Um, right now of in this very, very moment. Um, and as a result of our colonial status, um, we have this really diverse, broad, and um, just wonderful diaspora of, of folks across, across the world, uh, but especially across uh, the United States. And so I'm working on a project called Diasporican, which seeks to kind of capture the stories of Puerto Ricans living here in Colorado. So it's, you know, uh, that in and itself is a unique experience. Um, we are Puerto Ricans who have somehow found our way here um, to the state of Colorado. And that's something that we share in common, but we each have such incredibly different stories. Um, how we came here, when we came here, um, you know, the story of our parents. Some of us um, have, you know, been to the island. Some of us haven't. Some of us were born on the island. Some of us weren't. Um, you know, some folks have mixed parents, uh, mixed heritage. So it's a really, really rich um, 
just a, a place full of story and experience that I feel like doesn't get told very often. Um, and so this is a project that I am working on. Um, it's also just my own personal kind of, <laughs> my own personal agenda to just get every Puerto Rican and Colorado together. Um, <laughs> and awesome. so, yeah, yeah. So we, um, we're having a launch event on March 22nd, and that's uh -huh. gonna be at the Evans School. Um, which is right by the Denver Art Museum. And this event is really just to launch the project, um, bring a bunch of people together, hang out, have some food and celebrate. Um, so I'll be sharing more information on my website and also on uh, Redline's website um, as the event Great. gets closer. I love this name, Diasporican. You say yes. it. Diasporican. Diasporican, I love it. Um, that's so clever. I'm curious how, how as a colony of the United States, how is that perceived for people in Puerto Rico? Oh gosh, I mean it's 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 different for for everyone. I think there are, um, you know, there are a lot of takes and a lot of um, a lot of varying experiences and opinions. Um, I come from a family that is, you know, very strongly um, for independence, for the independence of Puerto Rico. Um, from, from, you know, um, my parents are very, I mean, they named me after a revolution, right? So first and foremost, they, you know, they kind of, they, uh, really <laughs> set the stage for me of, of having a revolutionary spirit, um, and having that, um, you know, that drive and I, and that extends to my beliefs about the island, um, how we do that, what that looks like. It's all very, very complicated. And there are decades upon decades of, uh, revolutionist history before me that I have, um, have been working on exactly this. So I encourage folks to look to Puerto Ricans, look at um, the work that we're doing, um, both in creative realms um, and the activist realms. They uh, often, if not always, overlap. Um, I'm looking at you, Bad Bunny, at the Grammys. <laughs> um, and, and so you know, we... Uh, it's, it's complicated. It's very, very complicated. I think that's just the, the, the simplest way to say it. Um, but I'm hoping with this project well, to share you know, some of those complications. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's important to point these things out, right? That is, it is complicated and it's very, um, there aren't very many colonies of the United States, right? And then, so it sounds like it might be because you're here and so it might be kind of a love-hate relationship with the whole situation, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 truly just so complicated, you know. Um, for example, this piece I have behind me, which I think is probably there's too much um, glare from the sun, um, but this is a, a piece of a portrait of four Puerto Rican uh, revolutionaries, nationalists, um, who were responding to the just decades of violence against Puerto Ricans um, by the United States. Um, and these are just four of, you know, so many individuals throughout history who have been um, really trying to shout from the rooftops the, the realities of the Puerto Rican experience. Um, and so, you know, there's, I, I mean, I could, I could go on and on and on about it, um, but I really encourage folks to take some time to, to learn about the history of Puerto Rico. I know a lot of folks uh, maybe have traveled there before for vacation. It's a, an amazing, beautiful, uh, peaceful place to be. Um, and it has a really 
fraught history that um, that we have been intentionally shielded from, right? Um, so there's a reason that you don't know about a lot of these things. Um, right. And uh, a book I highly recommend is War Against All Puerto uh, War Against All Puerto Ricans by Nelson Dennis. Again, that's War Against All Puerto Ricans. Um, it's a really hard read because uh, everything in it is true, um, but it really outlines the, again, decades, centuries of colonial um, violence that the island has experienced. And, you know, and Puerto Rico is just one part of the Caribbean, right? So, um, you know, across the Caribbean, we see this exploitation of um, indigenous resources, um, natural resources, all of these things. Um, and so it's, it's heavy, but it's also really beautiful. Um, and, and as a result, we yeah. have like, you know, uh, I had an event, I went to an event a few weeks ago, a friend of mine um, is working on, um, he's working on a play called Empire of Solitude, which is about the poet Julia de Borgos, who was a Puerto Rican poet. And her story is incredible. Her work is incredible. Um, and so we had a room, you know, he, we had a room full of Puerto Ricans reading this play about a Puerto Rican. Um, we had, you know, we had a formal um, kind of sit down reading together. Uh, yeah. And it was wonderful. It was really, really beautiful. And um, I'm excited to see more of that. Is yeah. that something that we can watch for to be playing in Denver? Yes, Empire of Solitude? Please. Yes, Empire mm -hmm. of Solitude, um, definitely. Look, look out for that. Um, there is, it's Great. Flamboyant Productions is the name of the production company that's putting okay. it together. Um, Great. And yeah, so and there's, you, you know. Mentioned, um, you mentioned the book, War Against yes. All Puerto Ricans. And who is the author again? That's Nelson Dennis, D-E-N-I-S. Okay. Great, thank you. And then I yeah. would ask, what about, what about movies? Can you recommend a few movies about the topic? Oh gosh. Um, you know, there's there's plenty. I feel like I don't have any off the top of my head, which I'm going to be terribly yeah. embarrassed about later. Well, we, can, we can add it to the show notes later as well. Absolutely. Well, and I highly recommend there's a wonderful journalist named Bianca Grilau, who is doing incredible journalism about the island. She's also doing a lot of um, work right now about Hawaii. So talking about the the very kind of parallel um, colonial realities of the two islands, opposite yeah. sides of this continent, but um, very, very parallel stories. Um, and so Bianca Grilau, um, and she is a wonderful journalist who's doing a lot of work about Puerto Rico. Great, that's really great. And I, you know, you also mentioned the, well, two things, but before we move on, I have to ask about the reference for, to the Grammys to Bad Bunny. Oh, you're yes. Gonna to, you're going to have to enlighten us. You can't let that slide. <laughs> I know. I can't. It's just so funny because uh, I never thought that I cared about the Grammys or award shows. Um, but like many Puerto Ricans, not all Puerto Ricans, but many of us um, are very, um, we love Bad Bunny. We love our Benito. Um, and he, you know, I heard he was performing. So I was like, I got to see it. I'll watch it. If he's if he's performing, I'll watch it. Um, and sure enough, he opened up the show. When he opened up the show, he played two songs from the album, um, which was nominated for best uh, for album of the year. And he didn't win, but it was the first time a Spanish language album has been nominated uh, for album of the year. So a big moment um, in that realm. But he opened up the Grammys with the song El Apagón, 
which is off of his most recent album. And El Avagón means the blackout. It is about the blackouts that are happening constantly across Puerto Rico. Um, there is incredible corruption in the infrastructure of the island, um, and that includes power. And so, you know, electricity is something that um, is, is not a given on the island, depending on where you are at any given time. Um, so Bad Bunny wrote this incredible, it's essentially a protest song about the blackouts. Um, and, and that is the song that he opened the Grammys with. Um, he has other songs that are more club hits, more, you know, more about, uh, you know, mucha novia, you know, it's like there's, he has those stuff that's, that's more about being in the club and dancing and has more English in it that people can sing along to. But, but he chose a song that was very intentionally making a statement. Um, right. And I know it went over so many people's heads, but. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm so glad we're talking about it, you know? And, yeah. And also to be popular, you have to have those pop songs, I suppose, right? Of course. Of course. But then it gives oh, him a chance to have a, yeah, but it gives him a chance to have a platform then too for these other more activist songs. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You mentioned kind of corruption in Puerto Rico and that even uh, electricity is not a given. And I mean, I, kind of see the world that there's kind of corruption, not everywhere, but there's a lot of corruption in the world, right? And it's unfortunate, but it points to some systemic problems that exist. And um, one of the things you also mentioned was that it's hard to find the truth about what's mm -hmm. going on in Puerto Rico, and especially yeah. um, as an American colony and how it relates to the United States. So, um, and that even there's even, this is, I think, consistent with a lot of the African-American history history as well. There's just a lot of revisionist history out there where things that have happened, really, really negative things that have happened are not well known and they're not even in the history books, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's some really deep systemic problems uh, relating to lots of minority cultures. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, it all, you know, not to be too... Um reductive, but I do think it all goes back to colonialism in some way, shape or form. The, the, um, you know, the effort, the, the, the endeavor to, to conquer lands and, you know, build better, build better and bigger. Um, and, you know, we're seeing it happening on the island right now where, um, you know, one of the things that people, one of the things that makes Puerto Rico such an amazing and beautiful place is the beaches and, the beaches have always all been public. There's no such thing as a private beach in Puerto Rico because the beaches are public lands for all Puerto Ricans, for everyone. Um, and, you know, the latest kind of colonial influx um, has been this, what people refer to as the, the crypto bros, the tech bros, um, you know, swooping in taking advantage of incredible tax breaks, tax breaks that are not available to Puerto Ricans, um, incredible tax breaks that allow them to live on the island. And then they're putting up fences uh, around these beaches. And so there's some real um, wow. incredible activism happening to, you know, to preserve that. But that's just kind of one example of, of, of how it's manifesting today. Um, and you know, there's, there's, there's several other ways throughout history. And I think you're absolutely right that there are parallels across diasporas, right? Um, 
there's there's something about being pushed out or stolen um, in the case of um, of many black folks in America, you know, that that having that initial trauma and then being brought somewhere and or, or taken somewhere that is so different, so new, and you have to um, manage both the you know the new reality as well as the the trauma. Yeah, and so yes. much of this is yeah, so much of this is beyond our control completely, right? I mean, if you happen to be born in a certain place at a certain time and you know a certain race a certain then then you don't have any control over the certain aspects of your life and I know you want to comment about this yes well I just I mean it's uh, I saw the comment about um the Ponce massacre yeah. and um that that's my that's my mom in the comments hey mom um and she <laughs> she is also a scholar of these um and you know and has been researching about all of these things learning about um these stories forever. And um, yeah, the Ponce massacre, um, I, the, the, the date was just up there. So I'm, I yeah, apologize. March 21st, March 21st, 1937. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I have like so many dates in front of me. Didn't have that one. So thanks mom. Um, yeah. So that was um, a terrible, a terrible event where um, Puerto Ricans were celebrating um, literally it was a, you know, a, a Sunday, a parade event. And, um, in order to quell the, um, the nationalist, um, and independence movement, uh, the U S government sent in forces that were straight up killing women, children, everyone, um, in the streets. And, you know, and this was, um, I forget which president this was the, who ordered this, but, um, you know, back to your question or comment about the corruption in Puerto Rico, a lot of it comes down to the fact that um, you, the U.S. has been, you know, appointing leadership um, in, uh, in, on the island, you know, since, since the beginning. And so it's very much who do you trust, who's you know, there are lots of corrupt Puerto Ricans. I mean, it's just, it's just true. Um, and you see that across, um, across peoples where um, money and finances and power, you know, encourage people to betray their people, quite frankly. Absolutely. And betray their own ethics or betray, you know, it, it's a really, um, it's a tough situation. And I, I did not know about that massacre. I'm so glad to know about that. You know, it's an example of, is it, is it an example of, um, the, the conqueror, right? The, the company, the, the country that owns, owns this country or colonizes the country. It's an example of their power or their need to keep power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to this day, Puerto Ricans do not vote in presidential elections. So, Puerto Ricans living on the island do not have a say in who the president is, um, and uh, and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of theories about why and how this plays out. Um, but one of the biggest and I feel like most obvious things is you know Puerto Rico is a beautiful, rich um, island full of resources of many different kinds, and the more you can do to get people off the island to push people off then the you know uh the more there mm. is for these billionaires and mm. folks to, to play around in and so 
the phrase um, is that that the kind of mantra that um, Puerto Ricans are often saying is that um, they want Puerto Rico without the Puerto Ricans. Oh, the other people, yeah, colonizers, mm -hmm. the U.S. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. You know, you know what that really actually said some light for me personally to kind of understand what might be going on. Um, so, I, I mean, we're talking a little bit here about some of the systemic problems that underlie a whole system, right? Um, I mean, it's it's very specific to the situation in Puerto Rico, but you know, there's a lot of um, systemic issues in a lot. Of ways. And one of them that you and I talked about the other day is that there are amazing resources out there. And I want to move into now your position there at Redline Contemporary Arts Center. Um, there's some resources that a lot of people don't know about. Um, and you're handling grants for the organization. Would you like to share some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's all connected, right? Because um, part of the reason that we see so many folks in power able to continue to amass power is that they um, they know about the the loopholes and the opportunities and the things that are around, um, you know, to continue to, to do that. And so I try as best as I can um, in the small ways that I can to to help folks access and find um, grants and other resources that are available because, you know, these foundations, corporations, um, there's institutions across the country that have resources available for artists, for small organizations, um, activists, folks who are doing community organizing. And it's really, really easy for it to feel like that is so far out of reach for folks. Um, it can be very intimidating. And so mm -hmm. my, my role at Redline is I'm the art grants manager and, um, and I love this work. Um, and it's, it's funny because I was also a resident at Redline um, before. So Redline has an artist in residence program. So I did a two year residency there. And as I was finishing my residency, I was like, I don't wanna leave this place, it's too good. Um, and this um, job opportunity opened up. And so um, I came on as the art grants manager. And so I managed two, two major grants and then other grants that come up. Um, but the two big ones I manage are Arts and Society and the Insight Fund. Um, and you can learn about both of these grants on Redline's website. There's a, a spot for artist grants and opportunities. So that's where all of that is listed. Um, but essentially, you know, in this, in this work, I am... Um, helping to promote these grants and get the word at, out, helping folks to apply, um, giving folks feedback on their applications once they have applied if they didn't get the grant. Um, so really trying to kind of continue to build capacity throughout our communities to both seek out um, and apply for these opportunities um, because someone's gonna get the money. The money's there and someone's gonna get it. And um, and it could just be the same people over and over again, um, or it could be it could be you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So it's they're primarily grants for artists, yes. of course. And the first one, Arts and Society, you had mentioned it. It's really a, a collaboration of people who are funding them, and then who would apply for those. Yeah. So Arts and Society is it's a wonderful, wonderful grant program, um, and. 
yeah, it's just incredibly special. I don't know too many other programs like it. Um, Arts and Society is a collaborative grant making program. It is, as you mentioned, a group of people who are funding this. So right now our funders include Bonfie Stanton Foundation, Colorado Creative Industries, Denver Arts and Venues, and the Colorado Health Foundation. And so all of these entities together have decided they are invested in how the arts can make social change, how the arts can affect social change and build communities. And so they've each put in some, you know, put into the pot, and then we have a bigger pot to, to play with, to give out to folks. Um, and the folks who are eligible for arts and society is pretty much anyone in Colorado, Coloradans. Um, it's primarily about supporting Coloradans who are doing exciting work in their communities, who are using the arts to address a social issue. So um, we see a lot of individual artists apply. We love that. We love seeing individual artists, artists collectives and collaboratives. We also see nonprofits. Um, one of our recent grantees is the city of Westminster. Um, so city entities and agencies can apply. Um, so it's really open to, to all kinds of folks. And the real kind of focus is about bringing the arts together with something that you don't normally think of as the arts. So we say the okay. arts and. Yeah. Yes. What so was, for what's example, an example for the city of Westminster? Okay. What did they do? <clears throat> so the city of Westminster, they are working on a project called, um, gosh, I believe it's called Heartifact. And they are bringing together, it's a storytelling project where they're bringing together okay. community members to share stories um, about the history of Westminster and the experiences. Um, so it's really, it's emerging a lot of different, uh, different things, but it's really exciting. That's great. It was just, yeah. Do you have any other examples you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I always kind of just throw out um, the arts and agriculture, the arts and juvenile justice, um, the arts and, you know, the correctional system, um, just as examples of the kinds of projects um, or the kinds of arts and that exist. But it's really, I mean, the reality is, is that most artists are doing this in some way, shape or form. So for artists, it's really saying, okay, what am I doing? What am I working on? What am I making? What am I creating that has a social benefit that is community minded? that I could use some funding for. And then right. for organizations, you know, for a hospital, for example, it's like, what am I doing? Or how can I bring the arts here? How does art right. and healing connect? Is there, yeah. it would it be beneficial to bring musicians in to, to play for patients, just as an example? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the hospital entity could apply to do that in the future, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, oh, and they can apply to bring in, you know, bring in artists. And then so through the grant, the, the the hospital is getting supported to do this work. And then they're also paying these artists to come in and, yeah, and yeah. bring in their craft. Yeah. Great. Okay, so that's one one group of grants that you work that's on called arts and, arts and Society. And the other one is called the Insight Fund. Tell us about that. Yes. So the Insight Fund is a direct to artist grant. So nonprofits are not allowed to apply for this one. Mm -hmm. Um uh, so just individual artists or artist collectives, so an artist group or collaborative, um, but it is really direct to artists. And this one is funded by the Andy Warhol Foundation, which is out of New York City. 
-hmm. And, you know, Andy Warhol is uh, an icon of contemporary art. Um, and what is so cool is the foundation has this, um, the foundation exists kind of to do a few different things. One is protecting the collection. So Andy Warhol's collection and, and all of his all of his amazing things. Um, I just mm -hmm. like can't even imagine how much fun that is to sort through. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's, and then he's really he's really like probably the most well known pop culture icon, right? Of art, would you say? Like, I mean, I yes. picture the the Campbell soup cans and the Marilyn Monroe paintings, and I'm just picturing all those paintings. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Andy Warhol was a real um, kind of pioneer in pop art and and also created a lot of space for other artists to gather and collect. Um, I know he, um, you know, was really close with um, Basquiat and instrumental in his career as well. And so um, what's cool is the foundation, along with, you know, preserving and supporting the collection um, of Andy Warhol's work, they also support or artists who are doing stuff right now, which is just so, so awesome. And so one of the programs they have is a regional regranting program where they give funds out to small nonprofits, art centers across the country. So each um, different states have different programs. So like there's one in Oklahoma, there's one um, in Chicago, I believe. Um, and then we at Redline have the Denver uh, Andy Warhol Foundation grant for the Insight Fund. And the Insight Fund is all about projects that take the art outside of a uh, kind of traditional gallery setting. So mm. a space that is, um, you know, really different. And uh, like, mm. for example, we had an artist team create a film, a really beautiful experimental film that they projected um, onto the outside of the history building on Broadway. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, very much a not traditional space, not traditional for film or art. Um, and it brought the art into a setting that people who wouldn't normally see it can see it. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. out of the gallery, out of the traditional space, um, we've had artists do um, projects in windowsills. Um, we have an artist right now, <laughs> Stephen Yazzie. He is doing a project um, where his... It's, it's incredible. He has, um, it's called Goldsmith and Associates. And the it's an installation where he has real estate signs set up outside of spaces who have agreed to have the sign. Um, we have one in front of Redline. So you can, um, if you come by Redline, you'll see. Um, but it's mm -hmm. a real estate sign that looks like the building right there is for sale. Um, but if you call the number on the sign, it takes you to um, some messages from local indigenous artists sharing poems, stories, um, information about the site itself. So ah. it's, it's oh. very, very, I mean, and I, I think it's an incredible example of what the Insight Fund can do because it's really pulling art um, out of what you normally think and, and putting it just like right, you know, right there, right in front of right in front of a building where you least expect it. That is so creative. So one, when you look at the sign, do you, is there any indicator at all that it's that it's not a sales phone number? <laughs> not really. You really- That's you have, wild. So yeah. Then people are pleasant, they're surprised. Yeah, and, it's, and it is a comment too, I think on the, um, you know, on 
the just the incredibly rapid changes that we're seeing in neighborhoods across Denver, across Colorado, across the country, um, you know, where where people are are being displaced. And so, right. you know, imagine that experience of saying, oh, oh, I think I might buy this building. And then you call and then you're like, oh, actually, like it's it, the exact opposite of what you anticipated. But now, but, yeah, but educating people on the history of the building in the area. And did you know? And yeah, that's so interesting. I'm totally going to call it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You should. And it was so, it was very funny because when the sign first went up, um, our executive director did get a couple of calls saying, is Red Line for sale? What happened? <laughs> oh yeah, that's so wild. And, you know, I mean, it just, of course, it's like, nope, it's art. It's art. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Um, I love those examples. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing the specifics, you know, so we can kind of envision some of that. Um, and so there's really, there's a whole, a group of these grants for individual artists who are taking it out of set of a traditional gallery, as you've just been talking about from Andy exactly. Warhol Foundation. And then the other group is available for nonprofits to apply mm -hmm. to and other entities, right? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and, and cities and foundations. That's great. So really almost anyone who's involved in art, there's something they could possibly apply for. Exactly. And really mm -hmm. at any given time, there's, there's something out there. So I often, I also recommend um, folks connect with Colorado Creative Industries. Um, if you're not already connected with them, following them or um, receiving their newsletter, Colorado Creative Industries is our state arts agency. Um, and they're an incredible resource. They're one of the funders behind Arts and Society. And um, they often send out in their newsletter other opportunities that are open to artists and nonprofits. Um, so it's great to be on their list. And then another one is Artwork Archive. Artwork Archive. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. But, um, but they put out an incredible list. Um, they do it, I think, an annual list, but then also monthly. If you go to their blog or go to their site, you can see um, they'll have artist opportunities coming up in the next two months. And so you can kind of see ahead what's coming up that I might want to throw my hat in the ring for. Um, and I always just tell Great. folks, you don't get what you don't ask for. You, you got to put your hat in the ring. You will, you'll get rejected. Just go ahead and accept that there'll be some rejections. Um, but know that, you know, there's, there's things out there that you could have five grand, 10 grand, 50 grand to do something really awesome or not, you know, but, but the money is out there and, um, and you got to throw your hat in the ring for it to be a possibility. Right. Right. That's great. That's art, <clears throat> excuse me, art work archive and also yes. the Colorado creative industries. And they both have newsletters and lots of information. Thank you for exactly. those resources. We'll put those in the show notes as well. <laughs> nice. um, yes. Great. Now, um, we haven't even spoken about Meow Wolf yet. You oh, yes. are, <laughs> you have an installation in Meow Wolf now. Um, would you share about that, please? Yes, absolutely. It's such, um, a, it's a, such a phenom, right? Meow Wolf is a whole phenomenon. Yes, you know, Meow Wolf um, has, has really blown up over the last few years. Um, you know, started in Santa Fe and then the Denver location, I believe opened in 2020, I believe. Or 2021. Time Sounds is kind right of a blur yeah. in my brain. Um, but I also just heard that they announced they're doing um, 
I have another location opening up in Grapevine, Texas, which I believe is outside okay. of Dallas. So yeah, yeah, so Denver's number two. Denver's number two. Yeah, it was. Oh no, De Vegas was the second one. Ah, okay, great. So there's yeah. three and so four. Now. Santa okay, Fe, great. Vegas, Denver, and next Grapevine. I believe. I gotcha. think that there might have been other locations in the works, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a spokesperson by any means, right, right. but I am, I am an artist featured um, in Meow Wolf Denver currently. And so they have this awesome little space called uh, the Gallery Gallery. And it is on C Street, which is the fourth floor of um, the Convergent Station, the Denver Meow Wolf location. And that floor of, of Meow Wolf is meant to really feel like a really kind of wacky cyberpunk uh, urban street. And so mm -hmm. one of the little, um, you know, shops, if you will, one of the places you can enter from the street is this gallery. Um, and it is a rotating gallery where they showcase different local artists. So it's a really uh -huh. awesome opportunity um, for local artists to get their work in a space that is has lots of eyes on it. Um, and so they reached out to me last fall um, to see if I wanted to do this show. And I had been working on a lot of different collage. Um, collage is always the medium I return to just if I'm in a rut or I just can't, you know, I can't conceptualize something big or, you know, it's just, it's, it is the medium that I just can always rely on. You know, I can always count on collage. Um, That's and nice, so, yeah. yeah, it's, I, I think it is just an incredible medium. Um, and it's incredibly accessible. Anyone can do it, literally anyone, literally. Um, and so <laughs> you can, everyone. Yeah. Um, I, and so, I love collage, yeah, I love that yes. concept. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, it makes me so happy. Um, and so last year was, you know, the last couple of years have been very busy for me. Um, I, I got married last year, which was Congratulations, yeah. Um, and you know, those last couple of years have just been nuts for a lot of, a lot of reasons. Um, and so I had all this collage work that I had made that was really never, I don't want to say it was never meant to be seen, but I just, you know, stuff I had done in my journals or, um, things I had just kind of made on my computer for fun. Um, and then when Meow Wolf reached out to me, I was thinking about what I would want to show and then looked and saw, okay, well, I've actually been building this, this collection, this body of, of collage work. Um, yeah. And as I was gathering these uh, pieces together and kind of putting the show together, I learned about the ship of Theseus, which is, um, it is a thought experiment. The ship of Theseus asks if an object has its parts and pieces replaced and fixed over time, is it still the same object? So mm -hmm. after all these repairs and replacements, is it still the same object? Um, and I got to thinking about this, this concept, this idea in relationship to collage um, and how you know, the medium itself is about deconstructing to reconstruct. Um, and, and I just had such, such an awesome time <laughs> just kind of nerding out on this idea um, and, you know, and thinking about, well, you know, this can be applied to human beings, right? Like mm -hmm. our cells, the cells that we are made up of right now in this moment are not the same that we were born with, 
right? Yeah. So yeah. Are, we the, are we the same? Um, and there's really no answer there. Um, and I love that. Yeah. I love that there's no answer, that it's truly just um, that change and growth are inevitable. And um, yeah, I just, I, I love to play with these things in my work as well. So the show is called Portals of Theseus. Okay. And it is a collection of hand cut and digital collage work. Um, it's all printed on and framed in aluminum. And it's up at Meow Wolf in their gallery until March 31st. Great, great. Plenty of time still to get in there. Six, seven yes. weeks left. Yes. And yes. I want you, so you said it's called Portals, Portals of Theseus. How do you spell Theseus? Theseus. Oh gosh, put me on the spot with spelling. Theseus, T-H-E-S-E-U-S. <laughs> okay, perfect. Thank you. Great. Um, and you're also a very active artist with even other things going on. Simultaneously, you also have Hi. something at the Denver Art Museum, right? Yes, I do. I do. I have a show, um, an installation up at the Denver Art Museum called Memory Mirror. And that is up in the pre-court gallery, which is on the second floor of the Hamilton building. Um, and this it's, it's kind of a funny little space. I mean, and that whole building is really funny, right? There's like all these slanted walls and like the building itself is a, is a piece of art. But yeah, the, yeah it really is. It really is. I, I mean, and I love it. And the expansion, the, um, the new building is beautiful as well, the whole, the whole place. But um, the pre-court gallery on the second floor is this kind of funny little thoroughfare between spaces. Um, and so... It's not a closed gallery space. It's it's very much um, kind of this. It's it's a, this little open space between um, between galleries, and they always like that space to be really interactive and um, you know something that um, really engages folks. And so they reached out to me. Um, I want to say in 2020. In 2020, they reached out to me to do an installation there, and. Um, the piece is called Memory Mirror, and it is a combination of um, collage, uh, animation, um, objects, and shadow boxes. The whole idea is really to try to capture memory um, in all of its in all of its many forms. Um, and one of the ways that the installation does that is having invited folks to donate memories. So throughout the installation, there are images on the walls and objects in the shadow boxes and stories in the animation um, that are from memories that people have donated to the project. Um, mm. I did memory donation right before the installation. So I, I had you know, in-person sessions, um, but people can still contribute their memories um, via a memory hotline. Uh, and there's also a QR code when you visit the installation. So I am still collecting memories um, and it is, it's just such a wonderful, it's such a wonderful gift. That's great. Um, you know, we spoke earlier about the Diasporican, right? Uh, project that you're working on. And that's very specific around, I, you know, it's also got a memory component, right? Um, about collecting the information about the lives of Puerto Ricans who have gone out. And so in this case, is there also a theme around the memories? Is it, or anything specific? You know, I really focused on Colorado and Denver. Um, and so, okay. you know, there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of Denver memories throughout the, um, throughout the installation. 
I, um, I love old stuff like uh, magazines, yearbooks, uh, old books, old encyclopedias is like, that's just my favorite kind of material to dive into. <laughs> Um, it's the best. And so one of the materials I was able to work with was an old um, DU yearbook. And so I've got some some memories from uh, from the DU yearbook. And then I've also um, I've got stuff from from folks who, um, you know, who have been in, in Colorado and Denver for a long time and shared. Yeah. Share things. And then I was really fortunate to be able to work with um, the Denver Library and their um, Western collection, their archives. Um, and they permitted me to use some images from the archives that were from, you know, Five Points jazz clubs and, oh, yeah. um, you know, Bruce Randolph when um, the street, you know, when his street sign um, was named and, you know, pieces of Denver history that, uh, that come straight from the source, straight from the archives. That is awesome. So it really is kind of a local and there's, you know, Denver has so much rich history, right? Truly. It really does. Um, you know, with, I mean, even like El Tepultepec, the little divey jazz club oh, that yes. was there for 80 some years. I know we're all so sad it's closed. Um, and, you know, some of the stories from places like that. And then, and then now we have, um, I know you mentioned five points. I love the history of the African-American culture there and the, the roots of jazz locally in that area, right? Um, yeah. There's just so much in Denver. There's so much. And in fact, you just reminded me of um, one of the other arts and society projects that we have um, funded is the Japanese Art Network, which um, they did a project highlighting the stories of Japanese Americans in Five Points, because there's a there's actually a very rich history of Japanese Americans in Five Points that there is is less known. Um, yeah. And so this group has um, you know rallied together to to create awareness around this. They did walking tours of Five Points, showing different parts of. Um, the neighborhood and the history attached to it. So, you know, I really see just such an incredible opportunity for art to intersect with um, with history and with storytelling in a way that's very, very empowering for communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful because those all those people then are connecting again based on the history, right? Those yeah, partic that particular exactly. community, yeah. Yeah. This whole this project reminds me of StoryCorps. I mean, it reminds me of the NPR. Um, StoryCorps project where I don't know if they're still doing it, but they used to collect audio interviews of stories. I know there were a lot of like mother daughters and, and interviews like that with StoryCorps. Yeah. Yeah. I love that project. And, you know, with the um, kind of, again, accessibility and the growth of access to these kinds of materials and tools, um, there's just so much more. Uh, you know, more opportunity for oral history and, you know, story like us right here, having this conversation and, and sharing this and, um, and having, you know, having these moments um, between people captured um, or between themselves, you know, these memories that I've been, um, that I've been collecting from people, they're very, very precious, you know, people are um, sharing a lot when they sit down and, and share a memory over the phone. Um, and so I think it's just, it's really special. You know, you're getting to something like the power of story is that it reaches and reaches our hearts, right? It's 
it's as opposed to just what happened on a factual basis, um, you know, then it, but it, but your individual story within what happened is what reaches our hearts and makes us really care about these things. Right. Yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, here's a question for you. How does art feel revolutionary to you? Wow. Um, that's a great question. You know, I think that, um, for me, it's it's that I can't help but tell the stories that I feel need to be heard. And sometimes that's, you know, my own story. Sometimes that's story um, of, of my people, of Puerto Ricans. Um, but I feel like, you know, there's a lot of static in this world. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot to consume at any given time. Um, and so anytime you decide to take up space in that with your own story, that's revolutionary. Just taking up space with your story is, mm. is powerful. And I think we take for sort granted of, how many, yeah, go ahead. Sort of daring to speak it, right? Daring, yes. daring to assume my story means something right? And, and allowing ourselves to step into that. This is my story and I have the right to be here. I have Absolutely. the right to share my story. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, this and gets to something. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know what, um, you know, every, you had said to me the other day, everyone is an artist. Everyone has the right to be an artist and the right to tell our story. And that, but we have to remind ourselves that we have that right. And that, you know, and I agree with you, every human being on the planet uh, has the right to be here and has the right to share their story. Absolutely. A thousand percent. And we really live in this kind of scarcity mindset where it feels like not everyone can do that. Not everyone, you know, only people who are really good at it. If you're a good artist, are you a good artist? Are you a good musician? And it's like, I can belt it out in the shower just like anyone else. And, and that's powerful. It's powerful when I, when I belt it out in the shower. Um, and there's no reason why every single one of us can't have all the time and space we need to create what we need. Um, there's enough for yeah. everyone. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, so here's another question for you. As an artist who works with artists, what do you perceive as the one excuse that people give for not following their dream? Whew. Um, I mean, I think I, I wouldn't say it's an excuse. I think it's a reality that capitalism really makes it hard for people to prioritize their dreams. Um, mm. And I don't think that that's, that's an excuse. I think it's a reality. Um, I think that it is very easy to just kind of fold into that reality. And, um, and I say it myself, there are times where I'm like, when, how do I just sell out? Like, how do I just sell out and, you know, work, like get a tech job or something. And just, I just, you know, how do I get the, how do I just do that and check out of all of this stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, but, I, but I can't. Yeah. I love how you articulated that, that it's really about priorities, right? The first thought that came to my mind was definitely like economics, making it work fiscally and financially in your life. And the way you phrased it was prioritizing that. Um, and I, I think there's a parallel for 
those of us who are working toward um, toward making the world a better place, if you will, and being cliche here, but in a, in a different way, right? Um, as non-artists, I think there's a lot of people like that, myself included, you know, I do my passion projects and it's not that, you know, it's not that it's necessarily extremely lucrative, but it's what I care about. So I'm kind of in the same boat in that, you know, we have to prioritize our, how we spend or how we take, you know, invest the money that we do have. Yeah. I mean, the way you spend your time, you know, every day, it, it, it ripple effects into how you feel and experience the next day. And so, you know, um, I feel really good spending my time um, talking to artists. I feel constantly inspired and energized. Um, and yeah. And I just like, I, I mean, I said it before, I believe everyone is an artist and everyone and everyone has it in them. And so it's, it's really a matter of time and space and mm -hmm. um, and some of us have to fight harder to make that time and space. That's great. So if our listeners were to take one action as a result of listening in to our conversation, what would you like to see happen? Ooh, oh gosh, just one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, if I'm being, I, go make some art. That's really the first, that's the biggest thing is make something, write a poem, send someone a sweet letter, um, make a collage. Um, I'm sure everyone has something in their house that should be recycled and could be ripped to shreds. Um, go make art. It's, it is an incredibly powerful thing um, to do. And I believe very deeply that we are creative we are creators um, as human beings. Creating is, is just a necessity for us. And so um, if you haven't done it in a minute, go do it. Go make yourself a really lovely meal. You know, go make something. And I'm hearing you say that not for the benefit of others, but for the benefit of yourself. Yeah, a thousand percent for the benefit of, the, of you and the experience. Yeah, it changes you, doesn't it? It makes, you, mm -hmm. uh, we, it makes us see ourselves differently. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, it's powerful. That's the, the, the word I keep coming back to. And I, and it can seem cliche, you know, to say, oh, that's so powerful. But, but truly, there is um, a power that we all have within us. Our voice is incredibly mm -hmm. unique. We each hold an, an entire world inside us, you know, our, our hearts and our minds are full of experience and, um, and opinions and insecurities and dreams and, um, and, you know, don't take it for granted. Right, right. That's great. Can you do me a favor, Lavas, and read in our comments here this movie recommendation from a listener? Can you read that for me? Mm, yes, yes. Um, so this, um, this person recommended, it's hard to watch or hard to find, um, Boricua Paque Tu Lo Sepas de Rosie Perez. Um, and that is, that's a great recommendation. Um, I, yes, thank you. I don't know who suggested that. Thank you very much. Yeah. And one of our listeners recommended that it's a, it's a film, I assume with Rosie Perez in it. Great. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'm going to, um, ask Aisla, she'll put that down here in a moment. Um, so you guys can read it on the screen as well. Uh, okay. A couple more things. We have about five more minutes. We have a few more questions coming in. Um, 
what would the world be like if everyone felt a sense of their own power to create and build? Um, gosh, I mean, in my dreamiest of dreams, it would just, you know, just be utopia, right? The best, the best of everything, everyone having the time and space to create and explore. Um, and to do that, you know, all basic needs need to be met, right? food, housing, healthcare, um, you know, all of the things that we need to exist. And I was, I mean, I was just telling this to my husband this morning. I was like, dang, you know, we have, we have robots doing all kinds of things, but here we are, we're still, we're still working. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to a belief that this, what you just described is possible and it's happening. I'm holding on to this belief, right? Yes, I really yes. am that we, we, we all, there is a beautiful world out there and we're getting closer and closer despite some of the negative things we talked about in the beginning. You know, there are so many people working, including you and I and everyone at Harmony Voices to create change even systemic change for the better. So I really do hold on to that utopia that you just described. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, the other thing is just just live it every day. Just just decide right. that that's where you, I mean, you know, it's certainly easier said than done. But I try, um, I try to to gaslight myself, if you will, into being like, no, I'm living in utopia. Like um, I I I am living in the world that that I want, and um, and you have to you got to fight up against a lot of things. And then, that, create, but it's and then, day. yeah, and then as individuals creating that every day in our own circles, right, in our own world, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I don't want to close without asking you: Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we just didn't get to today that that you want to talk about? Oh gosh, you know, I mean, we talked about so much. I'm just so grateful for the time and space to to share. Um, I am, you know, hoping um, in the next few years to to put a lot of these, these things, thoughts and experiences into a memoir. And so that is mm -hmm. something that I'm working on. Um, so stay tuned, but, but yeah, just, um, you know, I hope that folks will follow me on the social medias and, um, and check out what I'm doing, come see some shows. Oh, and I will be doing um, in the next couple of weeks, I will be doing a, um, what's it called? Like a ticket giveaway. I'll do a ticket giveaway for the Meow Wolf show. Um, and I'll be doing that on my Instagram. So my Instagram Great. is at Lattice Loves You. Okay. And um, and that is my Instagram and um, where folks can follow me and find find out what's next. Awesome. L-A-R-E-S-L-O-V-E-S-Y-O-U. There, there we go. Yes. And it's Perfect. true. I do. Love you. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. And also the red line. Do you want to share the website for red line? Yeah, so redlineart.org, uh, Redline Contemporary Art Center is where I work um, and was a resident artist. And you can find out about all of our grant opportunities um, by going to on the kind of side uh, menu. It's like grant and artist opportunities. Wonderful. I hope a lot of people who see this film today live and also in the future will apply for these yes. grants. And I love the idea that any artist, there's something for any artist that that's appropriate for anyone. Um, yes. and that money. Yeah, yeah, it's available. So this is so wonderful. Let us, I'm so grateful that you were here today with us. Thank you so much for yes, being thank here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And sharing such important things and um, 
you know, really, really your work is amazing. And we appreciate your support with Hermity Voices as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.